how you navigate through this world, you're going to spend money according to how you feel. Hey guys, welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. Today I'm speaking with Diana King. Diana is the founder of Money Boss Mama LLC and a single mom of two. Diana helps single moms living paycheck to paycheck and weighed down by debt gain control of their emotional spending so they can pay off debt and fully fund their savings. Hey, Diana, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you. So before we get started, can you give us an overview of your money story and how you got to where you are today? Yes. So I kind of, I always say that I was kind of, I found myself in the personal finance community by accident. So my first debt ever was an auto loan. And I got it when I was working as a Sonic car hop. And I knew nothing about interest rates. I knew (laughs) nothing really about loans in general, credit, none of that. But obviously, Mm -hmm. everything goes into that process. And so basically, I got trapped with an auto loan that took up one of my paychecks. And so when I had my firstborn, I had her a month after I turned 21. So I had a lot of growing to do even still. But it became a huge problem whenever I'm giving up one paycheck, but now I have a child to take care of. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I needed to get this dang auto loan paid down or paid off in general. They wouldn't let me give the car back. And even from a young age, I, if only it was that. easy. Yeah. And I've, I'm <laughs> going to keep it real. Like there was one time I was like, I'm just going to park it at the dealership and leave. Like I need this. <laughs> I need this car note gone. But I knew that I needed to get it paid off. And even still, I knew credit was going to play a huge role in the future. So I didn't want to take you know, a voluntary repo. So I went on good, good old Google. Okay, good old Google. And I basically taught myself about the best ways to pay off debt. And you know, you start looking at one article, and there's a bunch of jargon in there, you don't know what it means. So you have to go and Google this. And then it takes you to what's an interest rate? Or how do I improve my credit score? If it says I need to do this to refinance. And basically, little by little, I was teaching myself unknowingly, how to become financially stable. Mm, That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like most people's experience starts out with their own personal testimony. So yeah, so you said you were researching strategies to pay off debt and you figured out a system that worked for you. So what strategies did you use to pay off your debt? And um, how did that help increase your net worth? Yeah, so I will say that I've kind of ping pong between a few strategies, just depending on the season that I was in when it came to my debt-free journey. I realized that you go through this process in seasons, and so you have to pick a method that aligns with where your behavior is as you're paying off debt. So I started off paying the debt that was causing me like the most distress, which was Hmm. my auto loan. So I didn't have much money, as I stated. So I started by putting like an extra $20, $30 towards this auto loan. And even though it's easy to disregard that $20, $30, you're building the habit of sending extra money over the minimum payment, which eventually is going to start up a snowball. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm knocking this debt down, and now mind you, I'm still increasing my financial literacy, 
So I get it refinanced after I improve my credit score finally, got it dropped down by $100. Oh, nice. And a 2% interest rate, because that was my main thing. I had learned about how an interest rate impacts your payment and ability to pay it off. And then I switched to what's called the snowball method. And that is when you start with the lowest debt balance. And that just helps you to stay motivated because it's it's a journey. Oh, yeah. It's a journey. Oh, I know. (laughs) And it sucks. And it's like you want to pay for other things that you want. You don't want to send all your extra money to debt. And so Mm -hmm. that was the season that I was in after I got, you know, my auto loan or car payment lowered. Then I had to go into I'm ready to quit. (laughs) I need to find something that's going to keep me motivated. So I stayed with the snowball method until the last year of my journey. It took me four years in total to pay off debt. And then by that time, I was in the game over three years. So I had built up that consistency and discipline. Then I switched to the avalanche method, which is when you just pay off the debt with the highest interest rate. And that ultimately saves you the most time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said, you know, you figured out a strategy that worked for you. You tried a few different ones because there is a lot of noise out there as far as which one is the right one. And there actually is not a right one. It's whichever one's going to keep you motivated and consistent. So I've done the same thing with some of my, I have mostly student loans as far as debt goes and snowballed a lot of it. And now I'm at the point where, you know, I think I'm going to focus more on the avalanche method just because I want to save more money. And also it tends to save time as well. So yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing moving forward. So I know you mentioned that you didn't have much money (laughs) and you were a new mom. So I'm curious, what would you say to someone who feels like they aren't making enough money to reach their financial goals? Because you clearly were able to do so. I would say you have to separate yourself from where you think you should be. That's the main thing. Otherwise, you're going to continue to feel like you're behind and you're going to continue to disrespect the amounts that you're able to apply to your debts and other financial obligations. I literally had to separate myself from my emotions. Yes, I felt like, you know, I should have been able to do X, Y, Z, but the truth of the matter was I wasn't able to do it. I didn't have that. And I would also say that you have to learn that your journey is your journey. You have to Mm -hmm. accept that your journey is your journey. It's easy to know, but it's it's harder to accept that. Yeah. And then once you accept that, you're not so quick to compare yourself to other people. Because I was in the beginning before I joined Instagram, I felt like I was the black swan. I didn't have a two income household. I wasn't making tons of money from a blog or, you know, a, a YouTube channel. And so when I would go and try to find motivation or sources of inspiration, I would often just click out of the post or click out of the video because I didn't see myself in them. So Mm -hmm. I had to learn to really turn into myself and realize that my best was my best. My journey is my journey. And I'm going to forever be right on time. As long as I'm consistent, something's going to happen. Yeah. Something's going to eventually happen, Mm -hmm. even if it's just $10 applied to your debts. You're still creating... A, a snowball effect. It's yeah. going to eventually break free. And then you're going to start seeing things happening a lot faster. But I would say start with where you are. Realize this is your starting point. It's not going to look like the end result. And just continue to do your best. Yeah, I like what you said earlier about it being a habit. Because we think of habits 
often as either good, like working out, frequently eating the right foods, or bad habits. But I feel like most people don't think about paying 20 extra dollars a month towards some debt as a habit that builds over time. So yeah, that's super important and a and good way to think about it. Yeah, so at what process in your debt payoff journey did you create your Instagram account? I created my Instagram when I was halfway through my journey. So I was about two and a half years in, right at the two-year mark. I realized that as I'm going to good old Google, (laughs) teaching myself that I needed to speak up for the women that looked like me in the beginning. Yeah. I was the single black mom that did not have a high income and their tips, I I wasn't able to use them. It just wasn't going to apply to my life. Mm -hmm. And so I felt this need that I need to step up and go to Instagram to share my story. I said no for the first two years, but eventually (laughs) like, I'm like, I'm just going to do it scared because someone out here needs this information. And I was starving for community because community, I I don't think that we realize how important it is during this process. Like, yeah, it's already lonely. Like who's Mm -hmm. on a debt free journey? (laughs) Right. Yeah, well, it's a surprise, but most people, <laughs> but no one talks about it. So yeah. yeah, you're right. I find that there a lot of people want to pay off debt, but they're not actively on the journey as far mm. as consistency. They're just kind of stuck in the, I want to start, but I don't know how to start. So I'm just going to stay in the, I don't know how to start phase. And so when I came to Instagram, I didn't expect anyone to yeah. really... I didn't expect it to pop the way that it did, but that let me know that there was a huge need for someone like me on a single income to speak up and help guide the other women through this community. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I kind of had a similar experience, you know, doing the research, finding a lot of couples or older white men (laughs) that were giving advice. And it's like, uh, this doesn't really relate to me. I'm like fresh out of college living on my own, no kids, no husband, nothing like that. So yeah, I think it's really important to go ahead and share your story because there's so many different perspectives out here. And when people see you accomplish something as great as paying off debt as a single mom, they know that it's possible for them too. Yeah, we need more of that out there. So thank you for being so transparent and sharing your story. I know you teach people how to improve their finances using a behavior-based budget. Can you explain exactly what that means? Okay. So when you hear the word budget, I find that a lot of people's skin crawls. Yeah. They don't want to do it. (laughs) You hear the word budget because it has such a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Everyone assumes that you're broke. You can't have fun on a budget. But basically, it's just you giving your money a plan. Exactly. I I like to kind of weasel my way in and kind of trick people into (laughs) getting on a budget by saying spending plan because... They just process it differently. Mm -hmm. And so I realized with me, because I started my journey on a budget, one thing that really helped me be consistent was molding my budget to fit my behavior and my current season. Mindset is extremely important Mm -hmm. when it comes to anything in life, but especially your finances, because your finances plays a huge role in your life and how you navigate through this world, you're going to spend money according to how you feel Mm. and, you know, your principles, your beliefs and all of that. So I found that one way to help you stay consistent since everyone starts the budget and falls off the bandwagon is to include things 
that are going to help you stay motivated. So if you're someone that likes to eat out and you try to take it out of your budget, you're not going to stick to it Mm, because who wants to follow a plan that they don't like? You want to spend money the way that you want to spend money. And so to kind of meet yourself halfway between treat yourself and responsibility, (laughs) you add in what you love to help you maintain that discipline and consistency, because if you do it right, all of your bills are being paid. Yeah. All of your debts are being paid. And you still found a way to include what you enjoyed in that budget. It may not be the amount that you were originally spending, Mm -hmm. but it's still in there and it still fits. And you have the peace of mind of knowing that I paid for this combo meal, but it was in my budget. My bills are still paid and I'm still making progress on my goals. Mm. And so that's what I tend to focus on. Not so much. This is a budget. This is you have to stick to it. Da, 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 da. These are how this is the way in which you stick to it. It's OK. How can we create this spending plan to reflect you? Because it has to be unique to you and who you are. Yeah, I really like that because I'm definitely the type of person that still wants to enjoy <laughs> the finer things of life, mm-hmm. eating out, traveling. That's pretty much my main thing is I, <laughs> I will spend money on travel. <laughs> So, yeah, it's you can still accomplish your financial goals while also enjoying the things that you love. And I think that's super important. Is there a particular budget strategy? I know there's so many like 50, 20, 30 or, you know, there's all these different ways to organize your money. Is there a specific one that you like to follow or recommend? So I'm a bit of a rebel on that. Hey, go for it. I love being rebel. So I find that like, you know, the what do they say? The 50, 30. I don't yeah, know. 50, 30, 50, 20, 30, yeah. 20. That whole thing, Mm -hmm. I just kind of tend to throw that out the window because if you're coming into it, your income and your expenses may not fit in that. Mm -hmm. You're going to try to kill yourself, drive yourself crazy trying to fit this amount into 50%, this amount into 20%, this amount into whatever else. So my main thing is it has to be unique to your financial situation because a lot of times we go online and we're trying to copy and paste someone else's Mm -hmm. because... Well, hell, it's working for them. Yeah. So let me try to make it work for me. And then we wind up getting disappointed. And then when you come over budget, you think that, oh, budgeting doesn't work for me. Mm. Yeah. And I hear that so often. I tried it. It doesn't work for me. I can't stay consistent. That's because you didn't make it unique to your personal financial situation. Mm. And so for me, I just say list out your expenses, list out your income. Know your goals going into it, mold it around your behavior and your main goal, and that is your budget. Yeah. And it's going to change. It's going to always change. I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. It's going to always change, but there's not one way. There's not a, a one method that's going to just change your finances. You've got to just use what you have. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Similar along those lines, I guess, the platform that you use to manage your budget, whether you write it down, use an app, spreadsheets. I feel like that also depends on the person as well, Mm -hmm. because some people are definitely more pen to paper. I've tried all the apps. I've tried spreadsheets and it's not for me. (laughs) Yeah. If you're not a tech savvy person, I've had clients that are like trying to make these apps work for them. Mm -hmm. They're like, I'm paying the subscription. And I'm like, yeah, but you you're more so a pen and paper type of person Mm -hmm. because you have to be careful with the apps. It kind of takes the 
you being hands on out of it because the app that's does what it, it does for to you. me. Yeah. yeah, and so I just it's like invisible money. Exactly, like just spending, and spending. So, kind of like when you're swiping a debit card. Yeah, you don't even realize what's happening on the back end because it's you're you're not being hands on with it. So if pen and paper, a spreadsheet, you have to, I guess, trial and error. It's all trial yeah. and error. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I know you talk a lot about being an emotional spender and, you know, how you can identify whether or not you are an emotional spender. So if someone, well, first, I guess, how can someone tell that they're an emotional spender and then how can they fix that habit? Oh, man. So if you are consistently spending money on something that was unplanned, like you had this intense itch and need to get this something based on impulse, and then when you get it, you find out you don't want it or it comes with buyer's mm. remorse, you're more li- than likely suffering from emotional spending. And so, That's interesting. yeah. And what I find is that the majority of my audience, they're emotional spenders. Mm-hmm. Because once again, your mindset plays a huge role in how you manage your money. And a lot of times, if you don't feel secure financially, it sounds counterintuitive, but you're more likely to overspend because you're navigating your finances through emotion and those emotions are not positive emotions. And you said, how would you? Yeah. How would you fix that habit? If you realize that you potentially are an emotional spender, what could you do to fix that? First thing I always say, you have to identify your spending triggers. What Mm. is triggering you to go out and always purchase these things? And if you look back through your spending you're going to find what you spend the most money on because you're going to see these specific type of transactions pop up over and over, whether that's like McDonald's that keeps popping up <laughs> or you have purchases that are pending from the mall. And then you have to think back on those transactions. Okay, what was happening around that time? What was I thinking? Your thoughts mm-hmm. play a huge role. Your Every purchase starts with a thought. Yeah, I was about to say, you keep bringing up that mindset has a strong relationship with money. They're tied together, which I agree, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that if you want to go deeper. Yeah. So every every action really that we have starts with a thought, especially when it comes to spending. It could be that I'm bored. A lot of people spend when they're bored. A lot of mm-hmm. people spend when they're happy or when you've had a bad day at work. But if you don't recognize and pick up on that thought, that thought is going to continue to slip on by and it's going to become a habit. And you're just going to stay in this rotation where you keep doing something, you know, you shouldn't be doing it, but Mm -hmm. you haven't come up with established any ways to kind of redirect yourself. So after you identify what you're spending money on, what's triggering your spending, then you really have to be very mindful of your thought process. I always say Mm -hmm. allow space in between the purchase and your thoughts. So if Mm. you can squeeze out that time, you know, when we're in Target, we see something and we're kind of feeling a little bit rushed. We don't give ourselves time. So we just grab it on impulse and then purchase Mm -hmm. it. If you can squeeze out at least five minutes in between your thought and that action, it allows time for your impulses to subside. And then Mm -hmm. you can think more logically. But if you do not narrow down on your thoughts that trigger a certain type of feeling and then an action you're not going to be able to stop the end result, which is you going out and acquiring things. That makes a lot of sense. I try my best to hold off on making any Mm. purchases until I really think about it and make sure that it's something I really want and really need to. So let's talk a little bit about kids. 
For those of us who are either preparing to have kids or have kids now, what are some expenses that you budget and save for? So number one is child care. That is, that seems so to I've be, heard. oh my goodness, <laughs> that is number one child care. But also what I found as I'm progressing through motherhood is that you should also budget, set up sinking funds for things like clothes and shoes. These kids grow like weeds. And it's yeah, one how old are your kids? <laughs> they're nine and he's about to be five. So I, I have a nine and a five-year-old. Okay. And I found that certain expenses kept popping up over and over and I didn't have them in my budget. And so it would knock the whole budget off. And every time that happened, I would then go in and set up a sinking fund. So I have like mm. 10 million sinking funds for clothes. <laughs> Actually, wait, before we go any further, can you explain what a sinking fund is for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah. So it's like a mini savings account is the way I like to explain it for a specific expense or purchase so if you want to buy this louis vuitton bag you would set up a sinking fund for that louis vuitton bag based on how much it costs and then once you save up that amount you would just cash out and buy your bag Mm -hmm. so that's what a sinking fund is or you can have one that's ongoing most of mine are ongoing like clothes they're going to always need clothes so Mm -hmm. I, i just keep that open and keep throwing back amounts of money every so often yeah I love sinking yeah. funds. I have one. A lot of people use them for like car insurance. If they pay six months or once a year, you can do it for that. I have a sinking fund for my dog's grooming bill, my hair, nails. <laughs> I keep them separate. That way the money's already there. So I don't feel guilty at all when I go exactly. and get my hair and nails done. Like I say, I call it like the guilt-free way to purchase what you want. And then once mm-hmm. you set one up, you're going to wind up with $5 million because it's <laughs> <Right. laughs> addicting. <laughs> But expenses like that, like clothes and shoes, childcare, extracurricular activities, that was very important to me because for the longest time I suffered from mom guilt because I didn't have any money. Like I could not afford to get them to enroll them in anything extra. So that's important Mm -hmm. for me. Their extracurricular activities. School is always asking for money. And then, yeah, it comes up at the worst time. So Mm -hmm. if they have a fundraiser or they need, something at school set that up back to school shopping anything that you notice like things keep popping up out of your butt set up a sinking fund for them yeah that's a good idea and I know that you had your daughter at 21 is that right that was your first one your daughter so for anyone that's preparing to like save before having a kid do you have a recommendation for how much money someone should save before having their baby so I did Because I've heard a lot of news about this, and I know childbirth, the whole process is expensive. (laughs) So I'm just like, for anyone that's preparing, getting ready to do this, what would you recommend? So I learned the hard way Mm -hmm. with my firstborn because I didn't know anything. But with my son, I was prepared. So I had my sinking fund for him before he was even born. So I would say what's extremely important is to understand your health care plan. If you Mm. have a high deductible health care plan, what is your deductible? And then what is your out-of-pocket cost after that? So some plans go, maybe you have a $2,000 deductible, and then they go 80-20 after that. So you know you need at least $2,000 first Mm -hmm. off bat before insurance starts paying for you. And so save the amount of your deductible at least, and then what you expect to be coming out of, during maternity leave, because depending on how long you're going to be gone, 
or is it going to have to kick into short term disability where you don't get your full pay? That's one Mm -hmm. thing that I calculated, too. So I added the deductible, what my paychecks would be after the short when the short term disability kicked in when I used up all of my PTO. And mm-hmm. then I also added in the cost of my monthly expenses. So rent, you know, car payment, insurance. Right. I knew how much, how long I would be gone. I would be gone for about a month. So I saved up mm-hmm. a month's worth of expenses, my deductible amount, and then what I needed to save to get to my regular paycheck amounts based on what they were going to be paying me in short-term disability. And that mm-hmm. way, when you're on maternity leave, you don't have to rush yourself back to work. You can just really sit yeah. there and relax. Mm-hmm. As you should. It's kind of sad. Maternity oh leaves gosh. are so short these days. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but I guess in the in the U.S. at least. I think other countries, they have it better than oh, us. Oh, yeah. They have it better than <laughs> us in a lot of areas. So of course. Well, I know you shared that you hired your daughter to help with your business. So can you explain how that works logistically and the benefits of hiring your children? Yes. So if you have a business like a small business and your child is old enough to actually perform tasks, I say hashtag hire them kids because (laughs) the younger they are, the more time you have for money to start piling up for them. So I hired my daughter because I wanted her to have a custodial Roth IRA so we can Mm. get started on her wealth building. So depending on what your business is, just hire them for tasks that are age appropriate, but also necessary to keep your business afloat, like going through emails. I have my daughter, she helps me set up the camera, like that's her job description and taking my pictures and videos. Nice. Oh my gosh, love that. (laughs) And then they have earned income that you can start setting back for them and that money, you know, grows over time. So there are certain forms, you have to follow the child labor laws, but as long as you have them a job description, their compensation matches their tasks and it's age appropriate, then I say it's a great way to start building wealth for your child early on. You mentioned the custodial Roth, right? Yes. What other um, investment options are there for kids? So there are custodial accounts like UGMAs, Uniform Gifts to Minors Act, UTMAs too, but I think they're kind of running out. So that way, whenever you're saving, your money is invested in assets like stocks and bonds. We have the high yield savings account. They're not really mm-hmm. high yielding right now. No. <laughs> Five. <laughs> they need to get back. They yes. need to get back up. Let's go back. I mean, it's trying. I've seen. It's <laughs> trying. There's also 529 plans. Oh, yeah. I've heard the about these. college savings plan. That's really mm-hmm. good. I don't, we, we really don't know where education is going to go, but even still, yeah. you can use it for tuition for like K through 12 mm. outside of higher education. Okay. And also there was another one. Oh, you can open up a brokerage for them. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Out. Yeah. And then kind of transfer the assets over to them that way. So there's a lot of different vehicles that you can use. I always say to choose. To kind of find which one best works for you, what is your main goal for the money that you're saving? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. which account best aligns with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I know everyone always says, oh, I wish I could have been investing earlier. And now we can like yeah. have our kids investing as children. So that's amazing. So something else that I really liked that you talk about on your Instagram account, you've shared that women should ask the right questions in order to choose a partner that they are financially compatible with. Hot topic. Hot topic. 
Yeah, I think this is super important. So what questions should we be asking during the dating phase? And why is that so important? So first, I will say, like, don't lay it on them thick on the first date, right? <laughs> you may not get a second date. But like, as you're getting to know each other, and the dates are increasing, you can start like turning up the heat on the questions. But I say a lot of us, we don't ask the right questions, because we don't it kind of feels icky. We don't want to look mm -hmm. like a gold digger or look rude. And so we get stuck with these people we're not financially compatible with. And it causes a lot of stress on the relationship. And it may leave you in a worse financial situation. And so yeah. you want to make sure that your financial goals are going to align with whoever you attach yourself to because your partner mm -hmm. plays a huge role. So some questions that I feel are important to ask is ask what their what is their perspective on debt? paying off debt and debt freedom like you don't want to lay them on the thick and talk about you know what well, I think da 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 give mm -hmm. that person an opportunity to share their perspective just so you can kind of sit back and be observant and kind of see where their head is at another question is how do you feel about joint and separate bank accounts if it's important to you to have your own money on the side mm -hmm. and then uh, combine accounts for like something like bills you want to have that discussion early on, too, because you don't want it to turn into something that's like an argument later on. Yeah. As well as their idea of generational wealth. Hmm. Is this important to you? What are you doing right now to, you know, build generational wealth? Or what is your mm -hmm. perspective on it when it comes to children? Because children is something that we should ask in the beginning, too. So when yeah. it comes to your children... What are you going to do to set them up financially? If that's important to you, you want to make sure it's important to your partner also. Mm -hmm. And I say a really, like um, one thing that's really good to ask them if you want to kind of gauge how, how their spending is, mm -hmm. just ask them questions like, what do they like to spend money on? If it's clothes, shoes, da 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 da, da they're gonna you're gonna eventually notice it. But give them yeah. an opportunity to to say it. And then if that doesn't align with what you 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 value and spend money on and you don't think there's any common ground, then that, that leaves you the opportunity to decide if you wanna pursue dating situation mm -hmm. with this person. You're right. Your partner is one of the most important decisions you will make financially <laughs> and for your future children. So yeah, I appreciate those tips as somebody that is uh, not married yet, but definitely asking the right questions. <laughs> Me too, sister. <laughs> well, um, before we wrap up, there's one question that I ask all of my guests. What is the most important money lesson you've learned that you think would be helpful for our audience to know? Most important money lesson. Ooh, that's a good one. I always go back to mindset. That is mm. the top dog to me. I wish I would have known that the space I was operating out of mentally was affecting my financial decisions. Because I think I would yeah. have been able to stop my emotional spending a lot sooner so that I wasn't struggling with so much credit card debt if I would have known to tap into that. Mm -hmm. Are there any resources that have helped you, you know, develop your money mindset? Good old Google, girl. Being Google or BFF. There's plenty of resources out here these <laughs> days. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks again. Can you let listeners know where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Money Boss Mama, and you can find me on YouTube at Diana with a Y Marie. <laughs> 
Thanks for tuning in to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, I'd love if you subscribed and left us a review. Another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at First Hustle Then Brunch so I can repost it. Thank you so much for supporting the show and I'll see you in the next episode. Oh,